please join me for the prayer with the in the prayer for illumination let us pray for all you have given we are thankful for all you will say today we are listening for all you call us to we are ready with eager hands and open hearts for us lord make us your people and we will transform the world amen today's reading is from luke chapter 14 verses 28 through 35 today's translation is taken from the common english bible suppose one of you wants to build a tower won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it for if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it everyone will see it and will ridicule you saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king won't he first sit down and consider whether he has for he is able with 10,000 men to oppose one coming against him with 20,000 if he is not able he will send a delegation while the other is still long way off and will ask for terms of peace in the same way those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples salt is good but if it loses its saltiness how can it be made salty again it is fit neither for soil nor for manure pile it is torn it is thrown out whoever has ears to hear let him let them hear the word of god for the people of god so indulge me for a second sometimes in worship we'll practice a song or um, some particular response just so that later it'll make sense so I, I know at first guess y'all are gonna groan but there's a point I promise right? so there's a, a little bit of a, a um, call and response um, you could say uh, what do we want low flying airplanes when do we want them I know it's a groaner I'm, I'm working towards something work with me what do we want time machines when do we want them it doesn't matter because they're time machines <laughs> so that's the pain here comes the payoff okay what do we want instant gratification when do we want it we live in a world where we want it now we, we want it immediately we want it quickly um, and if we can't get it now quickly and immediately we'll happy happily pray that we can win the lottery so that then we really can buy it in spades I was surprised when I was reading uh, about lottery winners uh, that uh, Callie let's see uh, Callie Rogers blew a 2003 United Kingdom lottery jackpot of um, three million dollars on shopping uh, partying with friends and some plastic surgery procedures only to find out five years later 
that she was bankrupt and working as a maid. William Post squandered a 1988 Pennsylvania prize of more than $16 million on houses, vehicles, and bad businesses before going bankrupt and serving time for firing a shotgun at a bill collector. Clearly, lottery is not a good thing. Some uh, economists decided to look at uh, the experience of money from the winner of lotteries. They looked at the Florida lottery over the course of its time. Uh, they found that among 35,000 lottery winners, so this was any amount of money, right, from like five, 10, 15, 20 dollars, all the way up to 150,000 dollars. And what they found is 1,900 of the 35,000 folk who won the lottery uh, were um, bankrupt within five years. Now, if you were um, a smaller uh, winner, say under $50,000, um, you, you wouldn't necessarily get bankrupt um, immediately, like two years, but within seven years, you would. Um, when they looked at the average amount that people would win from the lottery and their average indebtedness, the average uh, win was $65,000, the indebtedness was $49,000. The $65,000 could have been paid off on the debt and they'd have had money left over. But do you think people who won the lottery did that? No. There was this strange um, lack of willingness to think um, in details about the lottery gift. Uh, researchers said that um, they had this like loose accounting in their head. I'll spend so much on mom, I'll spend so much on the kids, and I'll keep so much for myself. But the numbers were imaginary. Uh, they didn't uh, add up. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I classify prayers. Uh, one particular kind of prayer is the arrow prayer. Uh, I, I know you may not know the, the, the terminology, but you certainly have prayed one of these. It's one of those um, kind of send up a flare uh, for Jesus, right? I'm stuck in the muck. Uh, I'm, this isn't going well. Uh, shoot an arrow up into the sky to let someone know I need some help. How many of us have prayed, Lord, just let me win the lottery. I'll do good things with it, I promise. When we look at stewardship, uh, you know, Pastor Kate shared with us uh, last week about earning all we can, not at the expense of our bodies, not at the expense of our souls, and not at the expense of our neighbors. Mostly in America, we get the message of earn all you can. And we've heard somewhere about save all you can, but you know, that's just a little too quaint, a little too old timey. It just seems, uh, you know, we'll do that later. There, there's always time for later, right? When we look at the Bible, the Bible talks often about money. Um, I find it interesting that the things that we argue about at General Conference, um, if you were to line up the number of places where Jesus talks about uh, war and uh, about um, uh, genders and about uh, sexuality, um, you could add all of those up together, and they wouldn't equal the number of times Jesus talks about our money and what we should do with it, and the economic inequality among believers. Uh, often the primary image for understanding money in the Bible is the concept of the steward. Uh, the Greek word here is oikonomos, oikonomos. This was um, the person who was in charge of the master's estate. Uh, they would be like a, uh, a blend of a CPA and a chief operating officer. 
Oftentimes it was a, a slave or uh, a freeborn hired person. This was the person who had all of the rights and privileges to the master's estate and was trusted in such a way that that person knew what the master wanted done with his investments and would act them out on behalf of them. Notice that this is drastically different from the person who is indebted, right? If we borrow money, it is ours to use and to lose, and we are on the hook for paying it back. But the, the steward, the steward was responsible for someone else's stuff. Still, um, a, 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 a large amount of authority and respect and responsibility, but instead of being the one who borrows, they are the one who's entrusted with the master's stuff. When we look at stories of stewards, you find a story of a steward in, um, where Jesus turns the water into wine at the wedding of Cana. Right? Now, if any of you have ever been uh, in the catering business, right, um, <clears throat> apparently you only put out the best wine at the beginning of the party. And when people are less sensitive to the realities of the room, then you bring out the stuff that's watered down, right? And so when uh, uh, Jesus's mother says, do something when the wine runs out, he changes the water uh, into wine, and it's good wine, um, and it's to the middle, to the end of the party, and someone says, hey, yeah, this is not good stewardship. You don't bring out the good wine at the end. This must be a generous gift to give. Uh, we find uh, in Scripture a lot of conversation uh, around uh, borrowing and around lending, around working hard, about saving what we have. Even Proverbs talks about, if you want to see a good work ethic, uh, turn towards the ants. The ants spend all of summer uh, amassing food to last through the winter, so they have no boss, no commander, and no general. They do it on their own. Proverbs also says that the borrower is slave to the lender. Um, I, I, I'm amazed at how much uh, content is available in the Bible about money and how much we don't want to listen to it. Now, probably y'all are uh, you know, good financial stewards of what you have, but when we look across the nation, we're the most indebted culture that the world has ever seen. And it's not like we're indebted by leveraging ourselves into good things. No, we're also the culture that takes material from our rear ends, injects it into our face to look younger. That doesn't seem like a really good retirement plan, right? So thinking about stewardship in a microwave culture. John Wesley's advice was to save all you can. It was countercultural in his day, and it's countercultural in our day. Uh, Wesley was known uh, early in the uh, lifespan of the societies, they would pay him, say, four pounds uh, a month, and he would live on three and save the fourth. Later, when the uh, societies got uh, larger, they would pay him more because they were proud of their pastor. They paid him, uh, say, 10 pounds uh, a month, and he lived on three and put seven away. Um, that throughout Wesley's lifespan, that he worked hard, earning all that he could, and he saved so much that people were amazed. Uh, in John Wesley's day, um, if you went to prison, it was not likely that it was for violating a law. 
Uh, in fact, the prisons were filled in Wesley's day. They were debtors' prisons. So if you couldn't pay your debt, um, instead of you know, sending you to the world of out-of-town friends phone calls, uh, they would send you to the debtors' prison. And either uh, your family would come up with the money and pay to get you out, uh, or you would do manual labor in the prison, working wages to pay for your debt. So when John Wesley says, save all you can, he's saying that this is a way that we can not only uh, care for the world around us, but also care for ourselves and our household. Um, the, uh, I think it is amazing in our day and time that a failed retirement, or, sorry, a failed real estate tycoon has now made his wealth back times 10 by selling books and doing uh, workshops on Financial Peace University, right? D Dave Ramsey, right? He was a failed real estate investor and now sits on top of an enterprise as uh, voices in news radio and Fox News. And really all that he educates people about is simple things like cut up your credit cards or use envelopes as a way to manage your cash or don't buy anything until you've saved up the total price of it in whole. Pay for things in cash. Wait 24 hours before buying something that you don't need. Save up for your retirement before you pay off your college, your kid's college education. Right? How many of us, you know, having our first child thought, I'm going to put money away for JoJo's uh, college education, but we don't fund our own pension plan? I'm sure if JoJo hits the lottery, he's going to take real good care of all of us. Uh, but then again, there's that whole thing about bankruptcy. Uh, when you look at what Dave Ramsey teaches, uh, simple things like have three to six months worth of living expenses on hand before venturing out into something else, uh, or, or rather, uh, your budget should represent 70% of your money going towards uh, living expenses, 10% uh, for, or 20% for long-term savings, and 10% for tithing to a charity. What I found interesting is I had a, um, a family member go and take Dave Ramsey's uh, all-day-long course for uh, financial um, uh, sense. Uh, and, and when coming home, that person said, you know, really all that we learned was the same things that my mom and my dad and my grandparents taught me, but that I didn't really want to follow. Isn't it wa wonderfully interesting that we live in an indebted culture that knows not what to do with money? and has to go to class to be reminded how best to be a steward. I wonder, uh, what is it that you save? Uh, how is your saving going? Uh, you know, we are in the stewardship campaign, and uh, it would be uh, unwise for me not to talk about the pledge cards that we mailed to your house. Now, I've always said to every church I've served, anytime the pastor starts talking about pledge cards, you need to hold on to your wallet, um, because there's a particular angle that that pastor's going for. Now, um, I'm not so sure that everyone needs to uh, give hundreds and thousands of dollars to the church in the next year to come. I apologize to the finance committee. But let's be honest here. If we use Wesley's rules for earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can, if we think about being financially intelligent and taking care of our households, especially the four walls of our budget, so that we can be sure to provide for our families, be able to get to work and come home, and be good stewards of what God's uh, entrusted us with, then maybe the first step on the pledge card isn't how many dollars are you going to give, but rather do you have a budget? 
And if you don't have a budget, today's the day. The stewardship work for you this year is to get on a budget, to do 70, 20, and 10. And then maybe next year, having a budget and knowing what you're able to afford, um, give once to the church. If you've never given to the church, I, I want to ask you to cross over uh, that, um, that milestone. Walk into that moment where this place isn't just some place where you show up occasionally, but it's a place that you're invested in. And if you've given once, I want to encourage you to think about giving regularly. I'm not going to say what regularly needs to be. That could be quarterly, that could be monthly, that could be weekly. Only you know what God's gifted you with and what your budget is. But give regularly. And if you're someone who gives regularly, maybe the next step is to give a percentage of your income. Just 1%. It's okay, right? Not asking for uh, hundreds and thousands uh, of dollars, not 50%, just 1%. And then, you know, I think slow and steady wins the day. A long obedience in the right direction makes a difference. And so each year, once you've done 1%, bump it up to 2%. And then the third year, do, do 3%. The fourth year, 4%. And by the time you get to 10 years, you're tithing, which is not something you do overnight. I wonder what it would be like for us to think about stewardship, not as about how much money do we wring out of the con congregation, but rather, how do we help them become good stewards of what we have and who we are? Um, I think uh, it would be interesting uh, for us to think about our money. Um, I, I really have a hard time with TV preachers who sell the hallelujah hanky for $20. If you'll just, you know, call right now, we could take your credit card and send you one. With the hallelujah hanky comes a miracle of your own choice. Really, I can go to Kohl's and get a pack of six hallelujah hankies. We call them handkerchiefs, and they're $5. Is it really helpful for us to play on the heartstrings and emotions of folk who listen to the gospel message and ring them for all the money you can get. I'd much rather, uh, instead of give 20 bucks for the hallelujah hanky, how about um, send an email and we'll send you a worksheet on how best to work into a budget, right? Um, I, I look around at this church and we have so many wonderful stewards who contribute so much to the congregation. And I think to myself, how do we take the kids and our children and youth program and grow them into givers like that? It doesn't happen overnight. It may not even happen over 10 years. But if nobody asks the question, how will we raise a generation in faith that will uh, see the vision and the passion for stewardship like you do? There's a moving story that I wanted to read from um, the uh, uh, book that I'm using about Wesley's Simple Rules. Uh, it is the story of a, a woman. Uh, marking the page would have been so smart. There it is. It's the story of Osceola McCarty. Osceola McCarty was born in Wayne County, Mississippi in 1908. Her mother was a cook for a prominent family in Hattiesburg. Osceola was a student in Eureka Elementary School. Her mother began at a young age teaching her how to save. Uh, she asked uh, Osceola to start ironing other people's clothes uh, for money, and the money that she got, uh, she was to put into a savings account in the first Mississippi National Bank. Osceola had to quit school in the sixth grade to take care of an elderly aunt uh, and never went back 
Rathiola McCarty never married or had children of her own. She never owned a car. She walked everywhere she went, and she rode with friends on Sunday to her church, Friendship Baptist Church. And outside her church and the families whose laundry she washed and ironed for 74 years, no one had ever heard of Osceola McCarty. And so word got out that she'd given $150,000 to establish a scholarship at the University of Southern Mississippi a school that would have never admitted her in the days of segregation. Uh, Osceola wrote, uh, I'm too old to get an education, she said, but they can. I can't do everything, but I can do something. I can do something to help somebody. And what I can do, I will do. I wish I could do more. When asked how she accumulated that much money, she said, it wasn't hard. I didn't buy things I didn't need to. And the Lord helped me. And he'll help you too. Osceola McCarty, no one targeted her for a development list. No one uh, sent cards out to her as an opportunity for, uh, you know, raising a legacy gift. No one thought about her. Do you know the person actually thought about her was the bank officer? at the bank where she started the savings account. You see, over the years, they saw that uh, balance increasing in a very simple uh, no-interest savings account. They called up Osceola and said, can we come and visit you? We think we can put your money to better work. And so they, they offered her options that were very stable and appropriate, uh, not too much risk. And in that process, her money continued to grow. And as she got uh, older in age, approaching 80 years of age, the bank officer said, now, Osceola, what would you like your money to do for you after you're gone? And this is when the idea of having a scholarship at the University of Southern Mississippi came up. She'd always dreamed of going. And she might not be able to go, but the bank officer helped her understand how she could empower others to go. I wonder what savings plays in your life is it just a chance to accumulate more toys and more opportunities? Um, I, I think it's important for us to think how we can save what we have for a time in the future when someone else will need it. Uh, oftentimes we think that we pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps, that we earned everything that we have, that all that we have is ours and no one else helped us with it. I remember counseling one person uh, at a previous church who said they didn't want to do this risky call thing into ministry because they were the provider for their family. And who would provide if they didn't? And, and I said, really, you, you provide for your family. So, so when your family breathes, you go and pull and make their lungs collapse and expand. That when your family eats, you're the one that makes the biochemical reactions happen for nutrition to be extracted from the food so that they can have what they need. And they said, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. And I said, Scripture says real plain, real plain that all that we have and all that we are is a gift from God. You're head of the household, sure, and there's responsibilities. But consider the lilies. Consider the birds of the air. They don't toil or work but God provides for them. So what is it? Make more money or follow the call that God has on your life? Uh, John Ortberg, uh, in closing, uh, John Ortberg, a pastor and author, wrote a book uh, entitled It All Goes Back Into the Box. It's a great book. I encourage you to read it. But I love the story behind the book, which is much better. 
John Ortberg remembers being an elementary school student uh, playing um, Monopoly with his grandmother. His grandmother had taught him how to play the game, and uh, over the course of the summer, he got really good. In fact, this one particular day, he had wiped his grandmother off of the board, and the victory came at Marvin Gardens. And as he boasted of being so good at Monopoly, his grandmother said, Now, Johnny, remember that all those things weren't yours when you started the game. They were in the box, and we pulled them out. And now that we're done with the game, you've won and you did well. But they're not yours. They're all going back in the box. Remember, son, anything you do well, you've done well. But if you do it at the expense of others, if you do it thinking that you did it all on your own, if you did it thinking you get to take it with you, remember, grandson, that hearses don't have U-Hauls. It all goes back into the box. I love that idea as we think about who we are as a people. Yeah, work hard. Yes, save everything. But be ready for the time when someone uh, needs what you have. Um, Thomas Aquinas, a medieval casuistry writer uh, in the Catholic Church, um, he, casuistries were writing out what sins were and what their punishments were. That sounds really exciting to me. Um, he was, was known to write that the uh, definition of stealing was not taking something that wasn't yours, but having something that someone else needed. Friends, I wonder as we go on uh, this journey of stewardship, who is God calling us to be? How might what we do today live beyond us for the good of the kingdom and for the gospel? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.